Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm going to be a little bit, um, if it's all right, can I be a little bit informal today? I'd probably feel a little better standing up and sitting down instead of just standing the whole time. It's so... I thought this morning if I could preach to you as a play in a place where I feel a little bit more comfortable. Is that all right? You're not going to send and file a grievance with the United Pentecostal Church. Always get uncomfortable using electronics. Because you always say, I hope it works. But I would like to start this morning in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verse 19. And um, I feel very strongly about this verse. Uh, The Lord has impressed that verse on my mind, it seems like, all week. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I want to stop there. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And I think there's a message for all of us here. God is about to do something new, but we're not looking for it. We don't see a way through our problem, and we wonder if one will even develop. And God says, I will make a pathway through the situation. I will create rivers of regeneration and encouragement and blessing in a place where there's nothing that can supply your need but me. And I think sometimes God takes us to places where we cannot survive spiritually to remind us that we live in him. We breathe in him. And through him, we have our being. There are streams this morning in your desert. And it's God's will to provide those things for you because he gets great pleasure in blessing his children. Praise God. You may be seated. It's been a wonderful month this last month. And now, before I start, I, I know that oftentimes God brings us through certain situations uh, to teach us things, a lot, or a lot of show us a lot of things about ourselves. And uh, uh, this knee replacement that I had done about four weeks ago is is uh, really showed me a lot about myself. And uh, this morning, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm not going to run and shout. Of course, I'd love to run. And God knows that physical therapy, I'm doing all the shouting I can. Uh, and I, when I went into this, I, oh yeah, my surgeon yesterday, I went in for an evaluation and he'd threatened me that if I didn't get to a certain degree that he was going to take me in the hospital, he's going to physically bend it himself. So every, every time I'd sit at a restaurant, or I had not many restaurants, or sit at home or do whatever, I've been always forcing that knee to bend and trying to get it there because if I didn't get it done, he was going to make me suffer. Well, I accomplished it. And after our our appointment, he said, "I, I want to tell you what PT stands for. Pain and torture. And I I knew that when I went into this replacement, I had no misconceptions that there would not be any pain. I knew there would be pain. I was hoping, like Brother Mitchell, that I wouldn't have any, but I guess I was one of the unfortunate ones. But 
So that wasn't the thing that I that that happened that showed me some things about myself that were disappointing. And I have wrestled for the last month to try to understand why I felt some of the things that I felt. Because I truly believe, I have been a pastor since 1980, um, senior pastor for most of these years until 1999 in the churches that I've been in. And I have learned through all those years of experience that God oftentimes brings me through something so that I might show others how to get through to themselves. What kind of a preacher talks on a subject that he's never experienced? It's me trying to talk to Brother Matson about catching a lake trout I've never caught a lake trout in my life. Matter of fact, I don't even like to fish that much. I love to eat them. But that's that's something that I that he I could try to talk to him, but you know what he'd look at me and he'd say, Oh yeah, this city guy's trying to talk to me about something he knows absolutely nothing about. But this morning I am hoping to talk to you about something I know a little bit more about now than I did a month ago. And I'm going to just lay out the situation for you. And I'm not going to tell you how it's solved, but I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes this morning what God's spoken to me. And maybe you can see through my preaching what God has shown me. I, after the hospital, I went to a rehab place, and I don't think I'll ever do that again. I think I'll go straight home. I did not belong there with all those old people. I'm too young for that. And everybody was saying, how long have you been retired? (laughs) And I thought, oh man, I'm not ready for this. But I had felt really, like I said, the pain, that's not the thing that's bothered me the most. I expected it and I, I got a fairly high tolerance for pain. But the thing that troubled me the most was when I got to this rehab, I had... The only way that I can try to explain it to you is almost like an anxiety attack. Have any of you ever had an anxiety attack? Oh, it was a terrible feeling. I I became extremely ill. Uh, They said the medications, I don't know if they were, what was going on, and I know that people get sick after that. And so it's not, that's not that unusual, but I remember feeling so bad that um, I thought even if I tried to make it to the bathroom that I would pass out. And it didn't seem that anyone was around. But my point is this. I felt that I could not touch God. (laughs) This will be the hard part for me to get through. The other part will be easier. And to me, as a Christian, that was a scary thing. Um, I felt cut off. I felt isolated. I felt nothing. I didn't, and I'd ask God, Lord, I just need you to help me through this. This is a terrible time. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of that, and I shouldn't be. I know better than that. And I tried to go back and quote the scriptures and remember the, the, the things that, the stones that were set up, the memorials in my life where God has delivered me from this and God has delivered me from that. And I tried to encourage myself in the Lord, but everything that I did seemed to have no effect on the terrible anxiety that I was experiencing. And I said, I've never, in all the medical things I've had, uh, even heart surgery, I've never had that. And I said, why is this happening to me? And uh, I just wanted to go home. I just, take me out of this place. And I started to inquire to God and say, okay, now why? Why did this happen? What are you trying to show me? And I'm going to stop there and I'm going to get into some scriptures now. And I think as I weave my way through the fabric of my message, you'll start to see a little bit of what God has shown me. In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, um, verse 8, it says this. 
One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure that sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I want you to see the selfless act of this woman. She didn't have to do that. It was customary in uh, Middle Eastern culture that a prophet or a traveler, even a traveler if he was passing through, that people would open up their homes for them to stay. That was just a, a courtesy. But this woman went beyond the courtesy of the time and said, I will make him a place that he can live. Not only will I provide a meal for him, but I'll provide a, a secret place of refreshing for him when he comes by. Now, I, I want to, at this time, make a note here that any time you go above and beyond the call of duty in your relationship with God and others, God starts to pay a little bit more attention. I could tell you about Cornelius, how he gave many alms. And, but here this woman, she, she's blessing the prophet of God. And God is noticing it. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elijah asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Now, I, I, this, this is going to be a great gift, because this isn't something you can run down to Walgreens or pick up at Walmart. This woman is barren, and has no children, and her husband isn't capable of probably producing the things that need to be done. And, and so he said, call her back again. Elijah told him when the woman returned, Elijah said to her as she stood by in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. I want to say this, and I've thought about it for a while, I want to speak for just a second to all you people in church that give so selflessly of your time. And I, I know that sometimes you can get completely overwhelmed and you don't think anyone notices. But I want to tell you that God notices what you do. And he repays his debts. Jesus said in that, you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. God always gives back in good measure running over. And this, it could be a gift that you could not imagine. This is a child. And notice what she says. No, my Lord. Really, she were, her heart was saying yes but her mouth was saying no because she did not want to be hurt by disappointment. Oh, man of God, don't let me get my hopes up like that. Now, we just read the scripture when we started about streams in the desert replenishing something new in your life. When you give to God, God provides something new, something special, specially designed for you. You may be like this woman and say, Pastor, don't get my hopes up. I don't want to be disappointed like I've been disappointed by others so many times in my life where they've let me down. But sure enough, the Bible says, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son. Just as Elisha had said, 
Can you imagine how much she loved that son? I dare say as much as Abraham loved Isaac. This was the son, her miracle son. One day when her child was older, we don't know how old, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. I think of little, my little Jonathan, how he goes out and he helps Jason, and Jason fixes what Jonathan helps him with. <laughs> the reason I say that is because when, as we read further, the child is small enough that he's able to be carried. He went out to help his father with the harvesters, and suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. Now, if you have any medical training and it's, you realize the heat of the day and the hard work that he's doing, it's probably heat stroke. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. I don't think dad appreciated his son as much as his wife did. I can't imagine that if my son was in such pain that I would continue to go on working and have someone else do my job. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. Can you imagine how afraid she must have been? How frustrated because there was not anything she could do except hold the child. There was no urgent care, no emergency room. She didn't understand exactly what his condition was. She just held him and tried to comfort him and the child was dying. But around noontime, he died. Now notice this woman. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Then shut the door and left him there. Why did she lay him on the man of God's bed? That's where the promise originated, from the man of God. She went back to the very foundation of the promise. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Her husband, he's a dense sort of a guy. I hate to say it. What does he say? Well, I go today. It's not church day. That's what he said. Why go today? He said, it's neither a new moon, festival, nor a Sabbath. Why do you need to go to church? Why do you need the man of God? But she didn't even try to argue with him or to get him involved because she realized that his lack of faith would draw from what little she had left. When you're going through a hard time, you don't want people around you that will siphon off what little bit of faith you're trying to hold on to. I, I, I came uh, last, um, oh, a couple weeks ago for uh, Kelly and Scott's going away uh, little party. And while I was here, we were talking about I, the knee surgery, and somebody said, oh, he just, he just wants attention. And I, I thought, I do want attention. But it's not the attention of men. I desperately need God's attention. That's what she was saying. I don't need my husband. I don't need any neighbors bringing over anything right now. I need to find the source of my, my promise, the man of God. Her husband's totally aware of, unaware of her grief. He's too busy working in his field. Somebody, some people have no idea of what you're feeling inside because they're just so busy. And you choose not to even tell them lest your anxiety increases. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And as I sat in that rehab hospital, I, I realized that I was experiencing fear. 
And I said, nah, God has not given me a spirit of fear. The Bible says this about fear. He says, fear has torment. Fear is torment. When your anxiety comes into existence, it brings along with it its sister, the sister which is fear. And with fear and anxiety, you're tormented by your situation. And I, I thought about how do I, and I'm jumping back for just a second, how do I get rid of fear? I was... I had talked to my uncle a little bit down in Texas, and I'd shared a little bit about this, and he said, you know, Steve, and the guy's Catholic, but there are some pretty smart Catholics. He says, I think what's happened is this is a demonic attack that you've been brought into the situation, and the devil's taking advantage of your weakness He's taken advantage of what the drugs are doing to your body that you're taking for pain. And it's a spiritual attack. And sometimes what you need to do is you need to gather together all the resources that you do have, even though you feel you don't have a lot, and need to come against Satan in the name of Jesus, and you need to drive away his, his gift to you, which is fear. And I said, well, Lord, what else can I do to get rid of this? Because it seems not to be working real great for me. And the scripture said, perfect love cast out fear. Have, Dave, have you thought about that? What is perfect love? Well, if I were to ask you to write on a sheet of paper right now, what is perfect love? Now, you that are married probably would have a longer paragraph than those that are single. Perfect, perfect love is a trusting love. It's a love that's trustworthy. It's a love that's built on faith. And a perfect love is an intimate love. Uh, my wife has ministered to me and loves me in ways that only she could. It's an intimate love. We know everything about each other. When it comes to Christ... My intimate relationship with God, my closeness and faithfulness to God will drive away the anxiety and the lack of faith that I might be experiencing because I know my God loves me. My wife came over and she was, she's a sweetheart. Um, she really is. And I said, I need to get out of the building, get a wheelchair, get something. I have to get out of here. And we were at Franciscan Woods, which is by Elmbrook. And she took me out on the sidewalk, and we're walking up this hill. And off the sidewalk, there's a steep, steep decline. And she was laughing. I said, well, what are you laughing about? She says, well, I was just thinking about pushing you over the edge. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that didn't sound very appealing to me when I thought about it. But I said to her, I know you won't do it because you love me. I know that God will not allow me to fall because he loves me. The Bible says unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of his grace. That trust inside of me started to drive away the darkness and the blackness and it started to drive away the anxiety. This woman, she's anxious. She's fearful. But she also have, has trust in God and the prophet. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. Don't be, don't be kind to me just because I'm a woman. I want you to keep this thing moving as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elijah saw her in the distance, and he said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? He must have noticed something in how she was acting 
that caused him to be speculative that there was a problem. Notice what she tells the prophet. Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. That prophet is, while she's coming, goes back and tells Elijah that. See, faith and fear in her life are having a great battle inside of her. Her faith says that God's promises will continue and my son will come back to me. The prophet will bring my son back. Her fear tells her to spare not the horses. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Have you ever heard that statement in relationship to a child? I have. Going to the OB department over a stillbirth or a child that's passed away. How many times? Because the pain is so great that it would have been better that the child was never conceived. And that's what she's saying. It would have better, been better if never they had the promise than to lose it. Then Elijah said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. Oh, but the boy's mother said, <laughs> she's a powerful lady. As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Notice the aggressiveness in her behavior. I'm not settling for anything less than your presence because it was through your mouth the promise came. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elijah and told him, the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the, door, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Notice the transfer of energy. You may have never seen this before in the scripture. He's warming the child up. The heat from his own body, the energy in his own body, is passing into the body of the child. When I come to church, when I first came to church after being out for the several weeks, I came in still battling some of that anxiety, but I felt the warmth of your energy in the worship and in the word of God, I could feel that warming my faith, the regeneration. That's why it's so important to get together with the spiritual people of God. Uh, Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. Didn't happen the first time. What did he do? I'm going to read another story that identically mirrors this one that Elisha does. He gets up, he walks back and forth, builds up heat again, more heat, and he goes and lays on the child again. The person comes to church. All of a sudden, he gets some of the energy, the spiritual energy of the people that are around him that helps but isn't delivered. So the church gets up and it prays all the harder, 
renewing faith to recharge the battery of faith inside that one that's depleted. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. When we have someone that's going through a battle, and you know what, I think the, the devil, or, or God, I should say, this morning is trying to tell you that it doesn't matter whether you're the pastor or the usher, whether you're, you're a Sunday school teacher or who you are or what role you play in life, we're all subject to the same battles. And we all need each other. We're interdependent upon each other so desperately. We need each other. This, then Elijah summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother. He said, and when she came in, Elijah said, here, take your son. Take back your promise. Pick up the promise that you thought you had lost, but you refused to let go of. See, we lose something and we say, well, I guess God didn't want me to have it. Well, did you ever think that God wants you to show him how much you really desire it? She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. What a beautiful story that is. What a beautiful example this woman leaves for all of us. It's between us and God. Now, when I go back to 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and I go, and I purposely want to go back and look at the same thing in a different account with Elijah. 1 Kings 17, and I think it's verse 8. Then the Lord, word of the Lord came to him, get up to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And we've, talked, we've read this story a number of times, but hopefully I can show you something different this morning that you might not have seen. She said, as the Lord God, the Lord your, your God lives, not my God, the Lord my God, the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son, and so we're going to eat it and we're going to die. That's all we have left, nothing. We're, our, our, the verdict is read. We're going to perish. We have no one to support us. But notice what principle that Elijah gives to this woman. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid and go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and for your, your son. For this is what the Lord of God of it, the God of Israel says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run day dry until the day of the Lord, the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. Let me reiterate a promise to you. Sometimes you don't think that you have anything left that you can give God or you've got just enough for yourself to survive to go another day. The principle is the same as what happened with the widow of Shunem. If you give to God, God will provide for you a special blessing. And for her, it was going to be sustenance. All of her neighbors might be starving to death, but she's got enough to eat. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her Household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. Now notice this part of the story. 
After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness became very severe until no breath remained in him. She said to Elijah, Men of God, what do we have in common? Have you come to remind me of my guilt and to kill my son? When the trial hit her full force, the first thought she had was the same thought that you and I might have. Why, God, are you doing this to me? What have I done to make you mad? And that was what they said to Job, remember? His friends said, what have you done to make God so mad at you that he sends these plagues one after another to you? She had a total misconception of the situation. God wasn't punishing her. God was going to show her how great he was. And Elijah was not, it wasn't only going to be the God of Elijah when he left. It was going to be the God of Elijah and her God as well. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her arms and brought him up to the upper room, up to the bedroom, where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Does it sound familiar? Then he cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. Your promise, your child, is alive. It's not dead. That thing that you feel you're going to lose, how about your life? I, I, one of the things I wrestled with with my anxiety was death. What, if I can say this, what is it? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. And for, I, I thought to myself, because I'm around death so much that I wonder sometimes if the things that I've been involved in and I've witnessed and, and saw happen, if I'm not wrestling with some of the things that are part of my life. And God needs to remind me that I should take no thought for my life or for what I shall eat or what I shall drink or what I shall wear. And Jesus, matter of fact, seemed to be speaking to me and he said, you know, notice the sparrows. They neither toil nor spin. Well, that's not, I sort of jumped around the verse a little bit. He says, the Lord knows all about the sparrow. And aren't you worth more than many sparrows? And God seems to remind us, you're valuable to him. You need to remember how truly much he loves you. And she said, now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's, from word, Lord's word from your mouth is true. God gives us the desires of our heart and then sometimes allows them to return back to him and then gives them back again. That was again like the case of Abraham and Isaac. He gives them a son and Isaac is loved by Abraham and Abraham loves Isaac more than he loves anything in the world and then God asks for his promise back. Are you, are you willing to give the promise back? The promise is the thing that, that God gives back to you in many different ways. Does the blessing become the foundation for your existence? Does the promise that you have of God, is that why you live on this earth? Is that the reason that you exist? Or is Christ remaining the main thing? You know, you almost hate to give your kids a gift at Christmas because they won't talk to you until the gifts wore off. Well, one of the things, if you want some peace and quiet, give them a 10,000 puzzle piece puzzle. You may not see them for a week. But sometimes we get so engrossed with the promises that 
we forget who the giver of, of the promise is. That Shunammite woman had doubts in her heart as she tells Elijah, uh, the servant of a seraphite, seraphith, I should say, not, oh, they wish on him, not the deceiver. Don't give me false hope. I've been hurt before by broken promises. I live sometimes in a house of disappointment covered over with the fear that comes from my loss of control over my life. And see, I, I'm going to start wrapping this up a little bit. So I, I, I'm getting to the point. Most of my anxiety, most of my fear and discouragement comes over my lack of control. And when I'm not in control and I can't get God to move in a direction that I want him to move, I become afraid. I thought about Psalm 23 and um, how the scripture says, the Lord leadeth me through the valley of the shadow of death. But, and then I said to the Lord, I said, well, what happens if you're so far ahead? I can't see you. I know you're leading me, but what happens when I can't, perceive where you're at in the darkness. A voice says to me, my word shall be a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto your path. So sometimes in your travel, you just can't seem to locate him. You know he's there. You've, you believe that he's there. That's when you've got to take out the word of God. Faith cometh by preaching and preaching by the word of God. What I'm doing this morning, hopefully, is I'm trying to build up your faith because there's maybe more than one someone that's going to listen to this message that has felt the same thing I felt. And they're wondering if there's something wrong with them spiritually. But the Bible says this is not something that's strange unto you alone. These are all things that are common to all of us. We're all going to go through experiences uh, like this. But what happens when you go from the top of the pile of faith to the bottom overnight? When tragedy comes your way. Don't allow disappointment or the lack of understanding, overcome your love for God. You know, that Shunammite woman is a great example of a believing parent. Let's talk about your kids. Until our children are old enough to believe for themselves, it's up to the parents to do the believing and take care of the spiritual well-being of their children. Um... Until they reach the age of accountability, you have to believe for your child. You have to have faith for your child. I, I see in Mark, the ninth chapter, uh, talking about Jesus. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. <clears throat> And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And where, whatsoever, whatsoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not cast him out. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tarried him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child, and oftentimes they cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But notice how he phrases his thought. Just like you might if you're overwhelmed. But 
If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, no, 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 no. It really depends on you more than it depends on me. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. It's not what God can do or what God cannot do. It's what can I believe that he will do. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, and that's probably, he hit a soft spot. He said, Lord, I believe. I try to believe. Help thou my unbelief. In other words, I'm trying to believe, but I'm wrestling with unbelief. There's a part of me that's reaching out for the miraculous, but there's another part that's fighting against it. I think we've all been there. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the false spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee to come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he's, many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Sometimes we're fighting a battle with ourselves and sometimes we're fighting this battle with the Spirit. I think the battle with myself is a harder battle than the battle with the Spirit. Because I can cast the devil out, but I can't cast myself out. I can only control my thoughts. I can only control what I put inside my heart. I'm going to watch the time here. I have a lot more I could share with you, but I think I've made a point. I, I remember, in just sort of wrapping this up, I longed to go back to the place I was before that anxiety hit me. I wanted to go back and do my job, and I realized that this might have been present with me all the time, but because I was so busy, in what I was doing in my ministry. I didn't realize that even though I was feeling the presence of God moving through me, it did not, it did not denote how much faith I had myself personally. You can become so busy working for God that you're not even completely aware that you're spiritually deplenished. Deplenished? Is that a word? Depleted, spiritually depleted. I know it didn't sound right. Deplenished, we'll put that in Webster's. Is it? Good, I don't feel so bad then. So what did God show me? God said, Steve, yeah, you do a lot of good stuff and I love you, but you have to take care of yourself too. You need to build up yourself in your most holy and precious faith. And you can try to not pay attention to what's truly happening inside your heart, but if you don't correct it, I will bring you to a place where I will correct it. It's like the surgeon threatening me and saying, "By and it was Friday, it was the deadline to have my knee bend at 90 degrees. He said, if you come in on Friday and you can't bend your knee 90 degrees, I am going to bend it and make it bend. That didn't sound good to me. So what I did, he forced me. I told them, whatever we have to do to get that thing to bend, bend it, because I don't want him doing it, because he's a guy, and you girls are a little bit more tender than he is going to be. My point being is, today examine where you're at. Are you ready for a loss? Are you ready for a setback? Do you have the tools and the things that you need to overcome the battle that you might face? Can you pray like David prayed, saying, search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. 
because every one of us is going to face a test like that. And the devil himself will come back and use your very words against you. <laughs> you know what he said? I, either that or my mind said it. I thought you weren't afraid to die. I thought, didn't you tell people that you weren't afraid to die? And then I remembered what George Burns said. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I know that when we quote the verse like Brother Mason this morning, to live as Christ, to die as gain, that sounds really good when you say it. But are you willing to face the processes of the problems that God may send your way? And I'm not even going to talk about some of the things that could happen tomorrow. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know that he's able to keep me in the way that he's directing me. So I praise my way through and I realize that there are streams in the desert. In those areas where I can't feel I can survive another moment, I feel the rain. I sat over here and I, I thought, oh, I felt the presence of God and I felt like crying. I said, I don't want to cry because if people see me crying, they're going to think I'm feeling sorry for myself. And they're going to say, oh, he's so depressed. But I said, what I'm feeling is so refreshing. I feel like in the midst of my struggle, I feel this moisture, this regeneration coming through me. And I said, oh, let them think what they're going to think. I need this. I need that. Let them think what they want to think. All right. My brothers say you covered your point. Now stop it. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Lord, this is all an individualized prayer as we all speak our own words. You see what... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.